My name is Matthew Whitehouse. You're listening to The Face Podcast. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. Theory will take you only so far. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. NFI, me and you, not fucking invited. That was what we call a mashup from 2023's biggest films. We've got Barbie, Saltburn, Oppenheimer, The Little Mermaid. Joining me to talk about them at Spotify in London on the faces Deputy Editor Olive Pometzi and Assistant Editor Jade Wicks. Over the next half hour or so, we'll be discussing the faces top five films of the year, our favourite performances and what to watch on Netflix over Christmas. So it feels like every year we ask the question, is cinema back? Is the cinema going experience back? Did it come back in 2023 for you? Were you at the cinema more? Do you feel like people were seeing movies in, in, in picture houses more often? I do. And also, I don't know if this is a coincidence, but it did feel like this year kind of coincided with the finally Marvel fatigue. It kind of mm. felt like that era and that chapter is kind of closing, you know, with various exposés being published in magazines about, um, you know, people being underpaid and VFX people being totally overworked. And I don't know, it just feels like it's finally run its course and there's been much less domination of those kind of films. And instead we've had indie films and kind of blockbusters of a bit of a different ilk, which has been very refreshing. Mm. Yeah, totally. Like Blue Beetle and The Flash completely bombed, basically. Yeah. And like you don't hear anyone talking about those. Mm. And just the Marvel stuff as well. It's just like turned into a soup of content, hasn't it? Totally. You know, and it's kind of the, the Marvels was a bomb, wasn't it? Mm. You know, and it kind of because it feels like, well, I've not seen the TV show. You know, and yeah. I don't see the thing before that, and I don't want to want to go watch a movie about a thing that I've seen on Disney Plus. <laughs> exactly, you, know? you have to know like the universe and what five generations of characters did before that. It's just too much work. Yeah, it is too much. There's no stakes. I, 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 mm. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of those films anyway, but I did kind of dip into them a bit over the last few years because I sort of ignored them largely, and I thought I yeah. need to watch these things that are sort of cultural phenomenon. And there's no stakes anymore because of mm. all the multiverse stuff. Someone can just die and come back yeah, in a different timeline. Exactly. I don't know what anyone's doing anything for. Any, I don't know who's a good guy, I don't know who's a bad guy. I don't know why they're doing any of these yeah. things. You can die. You can, there's no stakes. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think they were talking about well, Kevin Feige, the big Marvel guy, was talking about potentially bringing back you know, Iron Man and Black Widow and all these beloved characters that died ages ago when there were stakes. Mm. I think just as a kind of way to bring audiences back in. But it's like the you know stop flogging the dead horse yeah it had a good run end the era let it die bring back real cinema exactly but let it really die and not come back in a different <laughs> timeline yes would be the would be the way to do it um, all right well look let's let's cast your minds back to the start of the year and 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 and, and what was happening in spring and particularly around our spring cover olive in which you did Halle bailey you interviewed her for the cover and she was someone that we were covering as part of The Little Mermaid. Tell us a bit about that and, uh, and that movie. Yeah, so The Little Mermaid, the live action version of The Little Mermaid was obviously a huge deal because, I mean, The Little Mermaid is probably one of the most beloved Disney animations of all time. And then it was a bigger deal because Halle Bailey is a black woman and she became the first live action black Disney princess. And the character Ariel, she's a mermaid, so it doesn't really matter, but she looks white in the animation so there was like a lot of backlash and conversation around that and so I think it was like a really big moment for her just because there were so many eyes on her like obviously she was already famous because she's part of Chloe and Halle and like being mentored by Beyonce but like she would be this was a film that kind of really made her a household name and we when we covered her in February the film came out in like July, mm-hmm. June, July, mm-hmm. I think. So we were sort of um, at the very start of the, the yeah, campaign, so weren't we? It was kind of like just before I think everything got really mental for her, which was nice to do because, I mean, I think it had already got mental because she was already seeing all these responses online and like reactions to the trailer and stuff like that. But I Good think, and bad as well yeah, to the good trailer, and bad. Right? Yeah, so there was like obviously the really negative, like racist backlash, mm-hmm. but then there was also these kind of like adorable videos of like little young black girls watching the trailer and being so excited because Harry looks like her which was really cute and we as part of our cover launch also got some of those little girls to ask her questions which was really sweet that's one of my favourite things that we did this year so good it was so so cute so sweet yeah, those those little girls that went viral. We yeah. got in touch. You found well. You got you found them, didn't you? And you got in touch with them. Yeah. And you said you want to ask a question, Tally, and she answered all the questions on camera. Yeah. to these little girls. And all the little girls sent a video of them asking the question in, so and cool. like, 
yeah, Hallie got quite emotional while we were doing it. Did and you? it was just yeah, it was really sweet, it was really fun. But when we were working on the shoot, it was like quite a long shoot day. We were out at the beach, like it was lovely because we were at the beach, but it was in all Malibu, like cold. Right? Yeah, in Malibu. Didn't look like it looked like Morecambe. It didn't look I think <laughs> it, it was did. quite a colossal waste of money. Yeah, all that budget <laughs> flying out to LA when really we could have done it. It was a really rubbish day. Beach. <laughs> it didn't look like Morecambe. That's funny. Well it was actually it felt it felt like a nice day. Oh good. It felt well, cool to be in Malibu. Oh, okay. good. Right, but it yeah. was a long, cold day, so we mm. ended the day doing that and I think it was a really nice clothes to the day good um, and you had, didn't you go for some food or something yeah for we interview? went for some Ethiopian food the next day for the nice. interview which Lovely. was like apparently like Hallie's favourite restaurant in LA nice yeah and we just chatted about the film and like how life has changed for her like she yeah like I said she's like <laughs> been with her older sister Hallie like pretty much her whole life they were homeschooled and then they've started their music careers together so this really was the first time that she'd been away whilst filming the film they filmed it in London and that was like the first time she'd been away from her older sister so it was really this moment of her like coming into her own and like stepping out on her own and like realising who she is as a woman Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. you know yeah also the acting thing like that's going to be like I think a huge part of her career now because she's just about to be in The Colour Purple the musical adaptation which is coming out I think it's coming out Christmas in the US but January in the UK right. but like the early reactions to that have been really really positive and like praising her performance so I think it is I think it's been like a really landmark year for her so it was exciting that we could be part of that very good so that, yeah that was kind of our spring I enjoyed doing that we did a little run of actors didn't we we did Jenna Ortega for winter and then we mm. did Hallie for spring which was really really nice and two two very well performing articles as well they're very well read which was is always helpful then of course in spring we have <laughs> the Oscars, what were some of the talking points of now that was back in March this year? Yeah, I mean, God, we were talking about everything everywhere all at once, which feels like it was released about five years ago. Well, that's because it was released a long time ago, wasn't it? Because it was quite an early... 2022 yeah. release yeah. so it was it was quite it was amazing that it stood the, mm. the sort of test of time in that sort of Oscar run yeah and totally swept up and I think to be fair like has actually maybe set the tone a little bit for, for this year in terms of films like it was really ambitious obviously it was a really I think widely popular film that everybody loved but it was really unusual really ambitious and I think actually if you look at the kind of slate of films that have come out and been really popular this year obviously you've got your Barbies and stuff like that but there actually have been some really experimental films and stuff that maybe you wouldn't expect people to kind of leave the house and pay to go to the cinema to see and it feels like everything everywhere all at once really ushered that in Mm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. And it was a, yeah. that was a multiverse that we liked, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. The multiverse used properly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Correct. No, but you're right. It felt like a, a film that audiences responded well to as well. It didn't just feel yeah. like some sort of Oscar thing that, you know, critics, only critics loved. Yeah, you know, audiences or like a historical really period piece sure. or a biog or something like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What else Oscars? What was happening around that time? There was like a lot of conversation about the snub of black women. For example, Viola Davis for The Woman King and Angela Bassett um, for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And we ran a piece on it by Amon Warman, who pointed out as well the fact that like it felt like, I think it felt particularly like an egregious snub because of it felt like a reversal of the trend that we'd been seeing in previous years like we'd obviously see like Moonlight and Thelma do really well and there's mm. been like Black Lives Matter which had like seen loads of Hollywood studios had like put out all these platitudes about like how yeah. they're going to do better mm. and then yeah. you get to this point where you go to the Oscars and you look at it it's like I mean it was obviously amazing year for Asian representation so like you can't discredit that but I think that was really apparent and I think as the year has gone on as well, it's like only become more apparent when you look at the biggest films that have come out of this year. Barbie really and the people that you'd expect to be making films and like starring that kind of cast. And there was also like a report that came out a bit later in the year that said um, in terms of on-screen representation, the amount of black characters on screen hasn't changed in the past 16 years. Actually, when you look at the statistics and the same with Latina representation, although again, it's good in terms of Asian representation because mm. that's gone up from 3.4% to 15.9%. Wow. So that's really good. Yeah. But there's obviously still some ways to go in mm. terms of increasing mm. the diversity and I think we're probably going to have the same conversation when this year's Oscars come around. Are you going to watch it? I'm going to watch it. Mm. It's on earlier oh, this on year. TikTok. Yeah, yeah I'll watch a snippet oh, from is TikTok. It? Well, t- I think it starts at four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't LA know that I can this stand year. that. I'd rather just catch the... The, yeah, the highlights. Really. I think we need to release ourselves from the shackles of the Oscars as the kind of like litmus test for 
the best films and performances because mm. it actually like as we've seen it's made no progress it doesn't serve anyone anything like it is obviously amazing for to give recognition to to directors and to actors and to producers and writers but increasingly it feels like it doesn't reward the films that are worth rewarding and it feels like it kind of panders to a, hun- a panel of people that are 100 mm. years old and mm. stuff and it just doesn't feel representative of, of the kind of artistry that, that makes an impact a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Well, it's going to be a funny ceremony this year isn't it? because obviously there was the, the actors strike and the writers mm. strike that went on for, for much of the year so that started in July and mm. was the longest actors strike in history yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. but tell, tell us about it because it was the writers and the actors the writers strike came to a close quicker than the actors but anyway give us some give us some context yeah the writer's strike t- came to a close fairly recently but then the actor strike has been going on for a little bit longer and they've actually ratified an agreement as of this morning i think that's those talks have actually been going on for a month so it's a one billion dollar deal apparently that guarantees pay increases for actors protections around the use of ai i think that was a particularly kind of contentious thing because in the talks i think there was a lot of worry around the language that was being used in the agreement and kind Mm. of like how that language then translates to protection and things were unclear and it felt like there were maybe loopholes for where actors wouldn't be wouldn't be protected but tell us about that that's that so that would be kind of um, an actor's likeness being used right yeah an actor's likeness so basically the new agreement you can't create a digital replica of someone without their consent yes and then if they do provide consent i think that then actors can get paid based on whatever the character is doing so as so you can't just do anything yeah you for... can't just do anything i think that what they do and obviously you think about action scenes sex scenes maybe stuff like that where it becomes a little bit the area is a little bit grayer i think then you can determine pay based on what the digital replica is doing. So that's been guaranteed for for actors and background actors as well. Increased residual payments, which was a massive thing. And then an 8% pay increase for background actors and a 7% pay increase for for actors. And it's really, really important, isn't it? Because the residual checks, particularly because that's how actors would have made a lot of money previously in the pre-streaming yeah. mm. era, right? So every time, if you're in an episode of Seinfeld and every time Seinfeld gets syndicated or shown, you get a check through mm-hmm. the post, right? Yeah. Now, because it's on streaming services, we don't know how many times these things are viewed for a start. Yeah. And the, it's a one-off payment to get it on a streaming service. And the actors, it, it's because it isn't kind of shown again and again on TV, it's just streamed by people at home. Mm. We don't know how many, time these, how many times these things are being watched. The actors aren't getting the same residual checks. Mm. So it's a really, really important thing for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also like seeing when the kind of strikes was in the in the throes at its highest point. I mean, some of the actors who were in, who were in really well-known shows that were really popular kind of posting their residuals, it was egregious, some of the stuff. I mean, it was as low sometimes as like $20 or something. Yeah. It was really bad. It's crazy. And it's also the thing about like with streaming as well, where like shows can just be pulled off the streaming service. Yes. And then yeah. they just disappear forever and the actor has no way of like owning it and having it and because you don't have box sets anymore <coughs> mm. so there's like just kind of that ownership of like the work that they do and like where is it going to exist and who does it belong to and how how can you preserve it as well mm. that's a strange thing isn't it these shows that you just take for granted are accessible on a streaming service and then they can be removed as is often Imagine. the case you know episodes yeah. of shows are removed aren't they I know you know and then it's kind of that doesn't exist anymore really yeah. in a collective sense yeah you know? bring back DVDs Perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Oh, yeah. On the, and on the other hand, you know, you have a show like Suits, which was acquired mm. by Netflix this year and became a huge, huge hit over the summer, you know, and those actors yeah. don't receive a residual check for, for being it's in that insane. show that became the show of the summer on Netflix, yeah. you know, Suits, this old television show. God, it's crazy. And I think as well, there's this kind of like falsity where we as kind of civilians slash members of the public just assume that because it's this kind of big, glitzy, glamorous industry that if you're an actor who's in a show like Suits, where you must be rolling in it and you're much better off than like someone doing another job. But actually, I think it was really important that they did this strike for us a lot to kind of see the amount of legwork that goes into making a show like that and the fact that even people at the highest level don't get paid in the way that they should. So I think it's been really eye-opening, even even for me. Uh, so that obviously dominated a huge part of the... Is it, is it too soon to talk about Barbenheimer? Should we talk about Barbenheimer? Yeah, We've got to talk time. about it at some point, it's haven't we? Time. Tell us about Barbenheimer. Yeah, Barbenheimer, the box office event of 2023, I yeah. guess. That was because Barbie and Oppenheimer 
were both being released on the same day. Indeed. And, and this was, was just as the strike had, the strike had only just started really, yeah. hadn't it? And it was yeah. kind of the, the last kind of major press tour that we were able to well, get. Barbie mm. did it. I don't know how Barbie actually got around it because they seemed to like was still be before, promoting. Yeah, yeah. Like, because, but didn't, didn't the cast not attend the Oppenheimer I think that was right. Premiere. That was the premiere. So it must have been right. Oh, the premiere happened right before yeah. the actors went oh, so on they strike that evening. Just as like, it started, yeah, right, yeah. which is pretty cool. Pretty like um, yeah. cool move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was massive and it was this kind of like box office rivalry, but also I think both the marketing team for Barbie and Oppenheimer and the mm. cast involved like, handled it really well and they kind of played off it and encouraged people to go to the cinema and watch them both in the same sitting. Because mm. um, it was kind of a joke at first. It's sort of yeah. meme wasn't it? It was like, are you Barbie or are you Oppenheimer? Yeah, you know, they, seemed yeah. like very, they seemed, although maybe you disagree, but on the surface they seemed like very different mm. films, but they found some common ground, right? Yeah. Yeah. What did you make of, of Barbenheimer, Matthew? Because I feel I've only, I've not really gauged your response to, to either. I loved Barbie. I saw it a bit later. Than I, watched mm. it, I watched it on holiday in September and I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. Really? Yeah, I really, really loved mm. it. You went to the press screen in the queues yes. around the block, Leicester Square, yeah. every screen taken over and yeah. the Odeon looks or whatever it was. Mm. Other cinemas are available. And <laughs> uh, you came back and you were really underwhelmed, weren't you? Yeah, and I you d- And I understand... All of your comments, mm. you know, and it was, you yeah. felt like it was a bit feminism 101 and a bit basic yeah. and a bit kind of tie stuff up into a neat and mm. bow and I get all of that. But I thought it was excellent. I really thought, what a brilliant, yeah. strange movie. And look, I mean, it's an, it's an elongated advert for a, for a, for a, a plastic is. toy. Yeah. You know, like, let's not forget, you know, what it is. Mm. And it's also a kid's film. So, like, I feel yeah. like the feminism can be I forgiven for the fact that, that it is that a kid's of, film. We're kind of with you there, Olivia. Because I have to say the other day, I was on a flight and the little girl next to me, she was she was a bit restless. She wasn't really like settling down. And then her dad put on the Barbie movie and I kid you not, she was just like slack jawed for yeah. like two oh, hours watching that's it. That's really nice. And I was just like, wow, look at her. She's yeah. getting a little feminism in. Like, I think the messaging good. is good. Yeah, that is good. Five-year-olds and there are enough mm. jokes that will go over their heads but keep us entertained. Yeah. Do you still feel as strongly about it as you did that first? No, I think, I think I'm, I'm being dramatic. Like, I don't feel super strongly like I still think what I think that it is feminism one on one and I think you know it's not just a kids film it was marketed to millennials and I think there was a lot of like fake depth in it I think that the 101 stuff was fine and there were some really good bits and I really liked the film on the on the surface but I think it actually wasn't strange enough I think I wanted it to be stranger but then what was I really expecting and I think maybe it was my own expectations that ended up creating you know that feeling of feeling underwhelmed about there were a lot of expectations weren't there yeah. very 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 high yeah and then I feel like the the bit for the for the kids you know quote unquote were really good but the bits that felt for the adults fell flat for me like the whole like kind of art, like overarching theme about motherhood like I, I didn't really get that people saying that they made them cry I just I, it just didn't do it for me mm. but at the same time I appreciate the film's importance and like I, I don't disagree with people who really like it mm-hmm. but it just wasn't mm-hmm. just wasn't my bag okay Jade hates it um, <laughs> I'm just looking at some of the some of the statistics 2.3 billion worldwide box office sales their joint so this is Barbie and Oppenheimer together their joint opening weekend was the fourth largest at the American box office in movie history that's pretty amazing that isn't is it in 2023 amazing. after the pandemic and when no one goes to really the pictures happy. anymore it that's makes pretty me really cool, happy yeah. i think it was nice as well because it felt like a real event and i feel like mm. that's like maybe like something it was events like, it yeah. was it was event cinema yeah you know? and people was, were getting dressed up for it yeah. like, i went to a screening and like everyone wore, wore pink yeah like it was a big event and i mean like you've like got renaissance out at the moment which is also a big event people are going in silver you've had like the era tour so like i feel like this like kind of like set off this trend of cinema becoming something that like you you get excited for and you book your tickets sure. like way in advance and you like get all your mates together and you choose an outfit and mm-hmm. get excited about it mm, for Oppenheimer even well yeah well people <laughs> dress up for Oppenheimer too okay. yeah what in well, like tweed people, people had like some like half and half look <laughs> I mean, I saw some stuff on the internet. Maybe it was like yeah. a, a minority. <laughs> yeah, Oppenheimer. Let's let's discuss. That's another one, Matthew. That I feel like I got like a very vague one-word answer did back from me when I asked you. I might have been busy. One. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Oppenheimer. What did I think about Oppenheimer? I went to watch it at the Science Museum. Love that. Was, uh, that. was that the IMAX? Yeah, on the massive screen with That's me. That's wicked. And never has a film tricked you into thinking it was a film that you had to see at the cinema. 
quite like Oppenheimer. Do you not think it's a film you have to see in the cinema? <laughs> no, not at all. The, the one big... <laughs> so it all uses practical effects, right? And so there's, there's no yeah. CGI. Amazing, you know. This one moment in the film, obviously, where they do mm-hmm. the test, yeah. you know, and there's the big explosion. Mm. It's the one thing that kind of you think, oh, maybe that bit's good for the cinema. There's, no, there's nothing else about the film that has to be seen in the cinema. I think, if anything, it's a sensory overload seeing in the cinema. I mean, that score... It's just like, can you please relax? <laughs> I can't fucking, I can't keep up. I mean, already I'm, I've got whiplash and I'm here for three hours and it's three hours of whiplash. And then you've got this like booming score in the background. It's like, can you just turn it down and allow for people to speak? Actually, silence. The film would benefit from just a, a pause. Speaking at the cinema, is in the, I went to watch Talk To Me and yeah. it was Chaos. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Chaos. The audience behaving badly are quite like chaos, chaos mm. vibes, chaos energy. Group the teenagers, I imagine. Yeah, mm. I don't mind it. You know, yeah, I don't mind it. It's I mind fun. it. Do you? I really do. Right. I think for a horror mm. film, it adds to the vibe. Yeah, I just, I always go. I've been to screenings of stuff, so then people are much more kind of subdued. Because oh, we're all the Industry. film critics. Yes, I've got their little notepads. <laughs> I'm just like, come off it. They've little pens that are like light up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't see any of those. I really want one. <laughs> I didn't see any of those. Did you like Oppenheimer? For me, that like that screamed watch it at home. For me personally, I think you can watch it. At home. It's a Christmas um, Christmas film. <laughs> is it? Yeah. It's <laughs> any your type of Christmas <laughs> film. <laughs> Where you've got that from? <laughs> No, but it's the biggest like watch at Christmas because when else are you going to have three hours to watch? Do you know what? I, w- I wish it had a, a larger uh, theatrical release. The Killer. I agree. New David Fincher on Netflix. I mm. saw it at a screening, so I saw it in the pictures and the, the, the sound design's amazing. Mm. I watched it at home the second time and I was bored. Oh, really? Yeah. Kind of yeah. melted into the Netflixy. Yeah, I think of... it's such a waste because they do do a limited release for those films, Netflix, but it's like there's a new Fincher film, you know. Do you know why they did that? Because I mean, he, well, he signed a deal with Netflix. So he had the Mindhunter show, which was cancelled, and then he did Mank. Yeah. yeah. Last year, the year before? Mm. Year before, I think. Year before. And then The Killer this year, which is great because it feels, well, I know it was a movie that you'd had knocking around for ages. The idea is based on a French comic book and had the idea of adapting it for a long, long time and Netflix obviously gave him the means to do it. But I just it's such a... I don't know. I, think, I wish it had more of a theatrical release because mm. it is good to see it. There. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I'm desperate to see it. But again, the reason I haven't gone out to see it is because I'm out when it's on Netflix and I can kind of have it at my you disposal. Can watch it. I just think it's a hard, it's quite hard. Mm. It's yeah, when you have got your phone and yeah. you get distracted, you exactly. Can, you know, it's kind of hard one to watch at home. Mm. Got to really concentrate. Another Christmas film. Yeah, yeah the killer is great. <laughs> great Christmas, Christmas, Christmas isn't film it? recommendation with from Jade Wick. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's get into um, some of the performances. Then we talked about the films. What performances were you in, enjoying this year? Well, I loved Greta Lee in Past Lives. Um, I thought she's incredible I've in that. I've still not seen Past Lives. Oh, you I've must watch it. Matthew, that has got your name written all over it. <laughs> Doesn't it, Olive? Yeah, yeah. What is yeah. it, a Paul McCartney biopic? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. No, I do want to see past that. I missed every screening and then oh. I just didn't watch it. And I, but I will watch it. So good. It's on on demand. I think, isn't it? Now, oh, I is think, it? I think I could watch it. May well be. May be. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't mm. confirm, but I, I cannot deny. But yeah, I thought Gretchen was great. I mean, I've loved her for. While she was in Russian Doll, which I thought she was great in, mm. and then she was also in the Morning Show. But I think this role in particular like really gave her an opportunity to kind of like show how she uses like like sort of like emotional nuances mm. um like for context the film is about a korean family who moved to america and this young girl nora who she has this best friend and like who she grows up with in Korea and they're kind of like they go on a date they kind of like fancy each other but they're really young so it's like nothing serious they lose touch when she moves over to the America and then they reconnect as adults and they have this kind of like long distance like not relationship but anyway mm. then they kind of both grow up and have separate lives and then they meet and it's all just kind of like this like kind of a like conflicted emotion of like maybe they should have been together but like things are so different now mm. and so I guess like emotionally it's like a really complex part but she handled it really well and also she plays her character for like a, a broad span of time she plays her with a young adult then she plays her a couple of years later when she's married and then yeah, it's just a, it's a big, emotionally challenging part, and I yeah. think she did really well. She did a really good job of it. Excellent, um, greatly. No, yeah. I'm going to watch Past Lives. It's amazing. Christmas yeah. film. That's a good Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, I watched Elf on Saturday. Aww. Oh, it's been a while since I dipped my toe in that yeah. one. 
I don't like Elf. I don't really like Christmas films. <laughs> Oh. You don't like you don't like Christmas. <laughs> like, that's true. That's true. So Greta Lee, past lives. Uh, who else? Performances. I really loved Sean Thomas in How to Have Sex. Molly Manning Walker debut feature. Absolutely amazing. I mean, swept up at like Cannes, um, Biffa, I think, which happened the other week. Basically about a group of 16-year-old girls who go on um, their first kind of holiday after their GCSEs, intent on getting laid, losing their virginity, whatever, but then actually becoming confronted with the reality of that, what, what that might mean when you get taken advantage of, but in, in a context where maybe there's a little bit more of a grey area and the, the people that, that that kind of thing happens whether you're friends and you've hung out with them or you've slept with them before that's basically kind of like the story and Sean Thomas is one of the male leads in the film he's kind of northern lad he plays someone called Badger who's this kind of like likely lad with loads of tattoos bleached hair he kind of looks like he's up to no good he looks like he's going to be trouble and you actually think that he's going to be the antagonist of the film but actually it turns out that he is much softer than his outer appearance lets on. And there is there are a lot of silent moments and pauses and space in the film, which I love, not like Oppenheimer. <laughs> I don't know, just reveal this, this vulnerability that I think male characters aren't often afforded. And there is a depth there where... I don't know, you can just... There's a lot going on behind his eyes, I think. And, yeah, it's just very compelling. Excellent. I'm excited it. to watch that. Yeah, it's it really sounds good. very, very good. Really good. Yeah, I've heard great things about, about that film. What about your performances? Uh, I really loved Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. Moon. I thought she was incredible. And Is it long enough, that film? It's too long, actually. Too um, long. Honestly, like, I went to a screening. I was told, actually, beforehand that it was like about two hours. So I was like, cool. It was an afternoon screening. I was Duped. like, fine. And then. Who told uh, you that? The publicist? Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're sitting in the screening and I was like, mm, this is. This is my mental clock is telling me that this mm. is going on a long time. And then like, it came out screaming. I was like, oh, too many emails. Oh, my God. So I think <laughs> it was all like a little bit tainted by the fact that I was like, I need this to be over, actually, because I need to do my job. But yeah, also, I feel like just like the final act, maybe you could, don't need it, whatever. But Lily, do you need it? Do you need yeah, her? Really? <laughs> she was amazing. So she played the character Molly, who is a wealthy member of the Osage tribe in America which is like a Native American tribe and so it's this community that's become really wealthy through oil and so the plot is basically like Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro's character like hatching this plot to marry her and all of her sisters and then kill them off so that they can like then have mm. all the wealth and it's based on a true story just before she was approached for Killers of the Flower Moon she'd like kind of like almost given up on acting she'd applied to do like a data analytics course really and so it's just really lovely to have this moment where she's been given this opportunity and it's one of the performances of the year and one of the most talked about films of the year. Yeah, surely mm. an Oscar contender. Yeah, right? I think she'll, I have a feeling she'll win the Oscar. Yeah. It just feels like written in the, written in the stars. Mm. I hope so. I saw people were saying that they should reshoot the original Hunger Games with her in the role of Katniss Everdeen. Oh, really? Aren't and they doing that? Maybe, I mean, well, it's the prequel. It's a, it's oh, it's a the, prequel. Or was it the sequel? The prequel. It's hard prequel. to tell. The one, that just, the one that's just come out with the prequel. Yeah. I mean, God, God. Knows. The thing that's just come out, Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I think that's. Do you not just watch anything like It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> I watch Little Women actually. Oh, you do like uh, Little oh, Women? Yeah. That's you? my Christmas that's watch, you vibe. guys. <laughs> Get the tears out. Love I it. watched that at Easter. Oh, I can't wait. It's so fucking good. Yeah, it's a good film. Well, let's talk top films of the year why don't we mm. so we've gone through performances we've gone through Oscars so what, what what did you love this year I mean not to go on about how to have sex again but I do feel like it does need a shout out it was my personal film of the year was it really yeah definitely wow. it was so poignant I mean also I'm a sucker for that's what I look for in a film it's, it's to make me really feel very emotional. That's what I kind of seek. <laughs> <laughs> so I really definitely ticked that box for me. But I just thought it just did such a good job of not not doing this ham-fisted portrayal of like, you know, you always hear about female friendship and consent and stuff like that. And I think, you know, it can get a bit of an eye roll because it can be quite overwrought. But it, this was just the opposite of that. It was just visually amazing. The acting was great. And it was just, it was in the quiet moments, I think, that you just felt it the most. And it just felt like that, the push and pull of young female friendship when you're 16 and you think you're going to be best friends forever. And then that facade kind of like completely cracks. Mm. And also, 
also male friendship and the, and the reasons why young men behave the way they do towards women and the pressures that they face. And it, it didn't at all feel like a men are disgusting type of thing. It was a very kind of like compassionate look at what gets you to this point? What is it that makes you cross certain boundaries and why? And also when you do get abused, it's not doesn't have to be this life ruining thing it can be something that happens to you that's terrible and then you move on and you move forward from it um and it just did a really good job of like encapsulating that yeah and mm. i just i loved it i really loved it and, and it's molly manning walker's debut feature yeah. film right yeah debut feature so very exciting to see what she does and we yeah. was it you that interviewed uh, is it me mckenna bruce the yeah, the, the, Mia McKenna-Bruce, well, we did her in the magazine, actually, and Craig, our consultant editor, interviewed her. Right, yeah. And then I did a kind of like long written through piece with everyone from the cast. Yes, you did, yeah. Uh, which was really good. And yeah, they just developed such a great kind of relationship. A lot of them were kind of first time actors who hadn't really done much. And it just, it was really lightning in a bottle, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely a must-see. And Brooke kind of had a similar trip this year, didn't she, where for the magazine she went to Zante. Yes, mm. On a yes. girl's holiday, a group that. of girls oh, from so the northwest good. who are going to Zante on, oh, on holiday. Oh, I love that feature. Yeah, great. me so too. Apparently, yeah. she's not here to confirm this, but I can confirm it was in her top hangovers of all time. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. <laughs> she kept that one and quiet. She's, she's adamant she didn't drink very much, but I think it was all the sugar. Mm. And the, the, the cheap what, vodka. The sugar in Chesterfield. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, Olive, what about you? Favourite favorite films of this year? I love Talk To Me, which you mentioned a little bit, but that's a horror film from A24. Obviously, mm. we know that A24 loves horror and everyone loves their version of horror in particular. But yeah, so this is directed by Danny and Michael Filippo <laughs> and starring Sophie Wilde, who I think that her performance has really put everyone her, her on everyone's radar. But basically what I really loved about this is because it feels like quite unconventional in the setup, really. The basic premise is that a bunch of teenagers come to acquire this possessed hand and you can hold the hand and then you say, talk to me, and they can like see or experience the dead in various forms, which is like quite a scary thing. But like these teenagers, for some reason, do not find it scary at all. And in fact, they turn it into a party game and they're filming it on social media. And the fact that they're filming it on social media then makes it more people want to get involved and more people want to try it. And I think we, when we spoke about this before, Jade, I can't mm. remember. I can't remember when we spoke about it, but you mentioned how you really liked it because they actually, when they were possessed, they got this euphoric film feeling yeah, rather yeah. than like this feeling Fear. of terror. So they want to do mm. it again and again and again, which is ultimately what leads yeah. to the fallout. That felt really subver subversive, I thought. I'd not seen that before, actually. Something where interacting with the demon or the supernatural force is actually really fun. Mm -hmm. Like teenage. Yeah. yeah. And it's also weird as a what, viewer to witness something that is like really scary. Like I think one of the early scenes where there's a possession and like it's really creepy and the doors are slamming and stuff and like you as a viewer are scared but mm. like on the screen they're all laughing yeah like that's quite weird to experience yeah definitely I always think of that clip of you know that one of Sarah Michelle Gellar and she's talking about the Scooby-Doo film and all of the themes of the things and then the Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> yeah. goes there's a talking dog yeah <laughs> I always think about that about this film is like it's, it's a scary hand yeah. you know there's no yeah. backstory to the to the hand it's yeah. just a spooky hand that mm. you touch and you see dead people and that's it there's no setup it's a bit like the killer in that sense there's no yeah. backstory to anything oh, yeah. you just you don't in. know where the th hand came from no. you don't know no. why it's doing this exactly yeah it's just a scary hand. Yeah. Anything else that you loved this year? We should probably talk about Thoughtburn. We I probably think. should, shouldn't we? We I have think. spoken about it quite a lot. God. Yeah. Sick to death of it. Do you know what I'm sick of? The discourse. Oh my yeah. God. It's too much. People need Guys. to just have less opinions. It actually. <laughs> also, people, people need to get off their high horse. <laughs> Wait, Jade, you're a bit spicy today. <laughs> I've had three coffees. No, okay, I'll calm down. Calm down. <laughs> no, don't. Keep it. Um, Go on, Jade. Well, I think, I think people are hell-bent on the class element of it and saying that it doesn't work as a class satire and that Emerald Fennel should be taken around the back and shot and never <laughs> make a film again. That's the kind of like energy I'm getting from people's opinions. But I don't actually think it's supposed to be a class satire. I think it is mm. supposed to be, yeah, these people are awful and they're not good. But I think ultimately what it is is a film about 
a crazy guy who becomes obsessed with another guy and that's what the crux of the yeah, film is about. It's not that deep. It's about obsession. It's not supposed to kind of like skewer the rich or anything like that and I think she knows, she's well aware of her references, she knows it's Talented Mr Ripley, she knows it's Brideshead Revisited. Yeah. I don't think she's trying to reinvent the wheel. I think she just wanted to make something that that she was familiar with, like the 2006 Oxford University setting and... And that was it, just a kind of like very kind of sexual story of obsession rather than a story of class. And people have really just gotten really aggravated about yeah, it. Yeah, so a lot of kind of how the upper classes can't satirise class. Mm. And I just fun, I just completely disagree with that yeah, take. I, agree I don't well. understand who, there's who better to, if it was to be exactly, a satire, to satirise yeah. the upper class exactly. than someone who, who is Huge. smart enough to be aware of her surroundings mm. and, 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 and to talk about it. And she it. gets it spot on, I have to say, the way they speak, the jokes they make, it is good. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. it is. And something, so we did a screening of Thoughtburn and afterwards yeah. there was a Q&A with Emil Fennell and something that she talked about in that was that like, which I think is really interesting and probably a lot of people are not getting, is that she really wanted to make these characters that are, like, really awful, but, like, make you like them and overlook the bad qualities in them. So, like, you've got, like, Jacob Lordy's Felix, who is, like, not a good character, like, but he seems really nice and friendly and he's really handsome, so you get over that. And you have, like, Rosamund Pike's character, who is, like, an awful, awful mother and <laughs> just like really heartless and unfeeling. And But she kind of makes these quite funny comments. So you're mm. like, oh, I actually quite like her. And then you've got Barry's character, Oliver, who mm. is arguably the worst of them all, like genuinely like a psychopath. He, he's the underdog. So you're like, oh, actually, but I kind of still want to root for you, even though... Did you? When he, when he, when the the big reveal happens, yeah. his and Felix's relationship changes. I was still like, oh, but I still feel a bit. Oh, sorry really? For him. When the reveal happened, that was actually one of the most awkward moments I felt in like film history. I was literally my toes were curling. I was yeah. like, oh my god. There's in this, all the stuff at the end. No, in the middle of the film. I don't know. I mean, we're talking so spoiler free. I don't even know what you're talking. About. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, we don't even need to go yeah. there. This is one for back of the office. Tbh. But the but the, the the chatter around it, I try not to. I just yeah. don't really go on Twitter or any of that nonsense. But yeah. the talk about it's been pretty annoying, hasn't it? Appreciating. Yes. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was three, yeah, three out of five. It was good I was fun. I was four up until the final third, yes. and then it went too silly for me. I agree. And I liked Promising Young Woman. I didn't love it, mm-hmm. but I liked it. Mm. And I liked this, and I will watch it again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me too. Maybe at Christmas. Maybe at Christmas with your parents. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Saltburn, we, we we liked. Yeah, yes. I, I liked it. We liked, we liked. What about, that? well, I mean, that's a film that people have talked about ad nauseum, but what about a film that uh, maybe has been overlooked this year? Anything that sort of slipped under the radar for you guys? Yeah, so, I mean, one film that I really liked was Y Lane, mm. which I think people were talking about it, but maybe didn't get as much attention as it could have done. So it's a romantic comedy by Rain Allen Miller. It's her directorial debut. It's significant because, well, first of all, it seems like we just don't really have romantic comedies anymore, good romantic comedies anymore in general. But this one was specifically a black British um, romantic comedy set in Peckham, and it stars David Johnson and Vivian Oprah. One of them's going through a breakup. One of them is like very close off to relationships, but like over the day they like get into like some adventures and mm. fall in love. And it's just really sweet and just nice to see kind of that kind of story being told on screen. And Vivian Oprah as well. Like that's one of my. She's just incredible. I'm so excited her. to see mm. what she does next. I think she's amazing. Yeah, that's a good Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I promise. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Um, Bottoms? Yeah. So Bottoms is a weird one. Yeah, I've not seen it. Me and Oliver were kind of saying, like, it didn't necessarily fly under the radar in in that sense, in the sense that it wasn't talked about because it was very talked about, but its theatrical release was so weird. Because it came out in the States a long time before. Has it even come out in the UK? It has come out in the UK. Yeah, it's just come out in the UK, but then it actually hit, like, VOD or or on demand Mm. um, in the States ages ago which basically means that it's like really easy to stream or yeah. like find online so then by the time it hit UK cinemas everyone who wanted to watch it had already watched it which is people on Twitter and then now it's only just come out in Australia and New Zealand I think and it just basically hasn't had the release it deserved Yeah, I feel What's it about? So basically it is about 
two characters who are both lesbians in high school, played by Rachel Sennett and Ayo Edabiri, who are very much the kind of like it girl comedy actors of the moment. And they're really unpopular and they really fancy the kind of like hot popular girls at school. And so they make up this kind of plan to create a fight club in the name of self-defense and female empowerment, which is actually just like a ploy to fuck the hot cheerleaders. <laughs> and it's basically about <laughs> about how this like ends up blowing up in their face. But at the same time, it's like a it's like a subversion of the classic teen movie and like has all the kind of tropes shoved in, like the jock and the the hot girl and the awkward person and the the cool teacher it kind of makes no sense like the film has no sense of place or time which I think kind of makes sense in the context and in what they're trying to do because it is supposed to just kind of be a little bit slapstick but I think it kind of falls short in that sense a little bit for me where it has this feeling of like because basically the the director Emma Seligman she did Shiver Baby with Rachel Sennett which is an excellent film a really good kind of like it is a good black film. comedy yeah, yeah, I liked that. it's so it's like one of those really stressful films oh, like so, Uncle yeah, Jones yeah, 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 just like, yeah. yeah very that like yeah. very like the bear but basically she so she directed this and kind of it was co-written by Rachel Sennett as well so they kind of like teamed up again for it and it, it did at times like have that feel of a university project that just got given a load of money and it <laughs> was just like three friends kind of like having fun and it it was like they were never told when to show restraint or when to just kind of or maybe this doesn't work but also that was the beauty of it at the same time I don't know it was kind of it felt like a little bit silly but also that I did enjoy that and actually I will say my favorite part at the end is that they they do all the bloopers before, oh, I like a blooper. Before yeah. the the end credits like every time someone's name came up it showed their best blooper. That's good. And it, I loved that. I feel like the, the whole release thing is a real shame because I feel like yeah. it's had the potential to be like I feel like every generation has their like big teen comedy right like mm. there was like Easy A and Clueless and Mean Girls and I felt I've, I kind of in the run up to this felt like Bottoms could be that film for yeah. this yeah. era but just because of the release and also I think the strike probably impacted because they weren't able yeah. to promote it like in the way mm. that they probably would have done otherwise <laughs> totally I think that really yeah yeah, it, it felt like a really important film to be made, even though it wasn't perfect. I think, mm. yeah. What was the rating for it? How old did you have to be to go and watch it? Do you know? Is oh, it I'm not sure. Teenager. Yeah, I mean, it really is quite PG. It's a bit rude. It's a bit rude. Oh, actually, the, the, some of the jokes are intense. <laughs> intense. Say. Yeah. What about anything else you want to you want to shine a light on before we move on? Films that maybe went under the radar. I'd like to shine a quick light on. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, on Scrapper. Yeah, yeah, you liked Scrapper, a really didn't sweet you? little film. Yeah, by Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson. The little girl was called Lola Campbell. Director Charlotte Reagan. It was a big moment for films by people called Charlotte about daughter father relationships. Because <laughs> um, you're referring to Paul Meskel film. Yes, what was that one called After again? Sun. After Sun, which you also liked, which I really yeah. liked, which was a wonderful, wonderful film. Yes, so good. But yeah, Scrapper is basically like the light-hearted inner city version of After Sun, basically about a a young girl called Georgie whose mum dies of cancer and she's basically left in the house on her own and she kind of like makes up all these characters to, to get out of school and to get out of being um, sussed out by social services and she kind of lives on her own with her best friend and kind of fends for herself until her dad, who who's been out of her life, for, for many years, basically since she was born, Harris Dickinson comes back and tries to form a relationship with her, but he's a bit of a no good, you know, kind of dad, maybe kind of person who doesn't really make, you know, money in the most legitimate ways, whatever. But anyway, they kind of form this bond and it's just a really sweet, charming film that has all these kind of like surrealist elements that, that you don't really get to see very often. Uh-huh. It's kind of like it's kind of like a scrapbook in a film. But yeah, I'd highly recommend Scrapper. Scrapper. Go and watch it. I just realised that we've nearly reached the end of the podcast and you've not spoken about Megan. Oh my God, <laughs> Megan. That was the film event of the year for me. Uh, <laughs> basically, everyone knows what Megan is. I don't need to explain it, do I? Like, it's just a spooky doll. Yeah, yeah. a spooky doll. Pers- just no, a talking she's not doll. Well, it's AI. It's an AI panic, isn't it? Um, Relevant. Um, but also, she's got incredible dance moves. She slays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to I went to a screening of it, and I, I bring this up all the time. But like, literally at the end of the film, like the whole cinema started clapping. Love. Like it was just like did they? Yeah. I like it when that yeah. happens at a screening. Have you yeah. ever had a clap during the film? Ooh, no, no. I've seen that happen. When two Spielberg films in a row, West wow. Side Story. Shit. 
and the Fablemans. Interesting. I loved the I've seen Haven't it seen times. the Fable Man. I couldn't finish Red Star Story. Like in West Side Story, was it after a musical number? Yeah, after, yeah. I think it was after the, the high school dance uh, number. There was a clap. Yes. Oh, is that the one with the continuous? Love that. Yeah, that first shot going in. And the Fablemans was after Judd Hirsch's scene where he does that amazing 10-minute performance. I got him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor where he rips his shirt and he talks about how you need to suffer for your art and no one will ever understand. Very you, Matthew. It's amazing. Did you start the applause? I didn't start the applause, but I I was... Lies. Lies. It was great. (laughs) It was great, you know. So, yeah, everybody loved Megan at the screening. Everybody loved Megan at the screening and people were shouting out, screaming, whooping, especially during the dance routine. Also, the bit where she sings Titanium. Oh, my Um, God. It's just so... Ridiculous, camp. absurd, yeah, and camp. That like it's exactly the kind of thing that I love. And I don't want to cry. She was in a heaven campaign. She was like dancing around New York on the top of the Empire State Building. Was she? She's been everywhere, and I think she's going to come back. Um, oh, there'll be a sequel. Oh. Yeah, there'll yeah, be definitely going to be Megan too. Megan too. All right. Well, uh, continuing that theme of looking ahead to to, to things that we want to see. What what movies are you excited about for twenty twenty four? Poor things by Yorgos mm. Lanthimos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am so excited to see that. I actually was supposed to go and see it. It's part of the LFF and um, they reallocated my ticket because I was kidding. three minutes late. So I'm pretty pissed off about that. Mm. It's really annoying. But um, anyway, I think this is going to be Emma Stone's year. Emma Stone's comeback. She's in The Curse. The curse. She's in this. And she's also been named as kind of like lead in a couple of other projects but anyway I just think it looks amazing and I th- there's been such a trend of like um, films having this really kind of like grayscale palette you know sure, like the yeah. kind of thing and this is like the first film well in the trailer anyway that I've seen for ages where it's like the colours are popping and it's really saturated and it Good. looks really funny and and yeah that's my my one that I'm really looking forward to I'm really looking forward to Challenges uh, yeah mm. starring Zendaya and Josh Akana, isn't yes. it? Mike Feist. Yes. From West Side Story. Yeah. Mm. He's very I've good seen it. Seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great face. Um, very good face. But yeah, this looks great. Uh, it looks really fun. It kind of like when the trailer it's a came tennis out. tennis. Yeah. Threesome shagging yeah. extravaganza. Tennis isn't it? star. Like Zendaya is this tennis star and these two guys are really into her. She kind of, it seems like they have like this like love triangle, but then she has an injury. She can't play tennis anymore. And so the one that she ends up with. Because like kind of like outshines her, and she's even more in the shadow of the trainer and a coach, and so there's all this kind of like rivalry, sex, Gosh. this kind of stuff mm. going on. So football. Yeah, but I saw like someone on Twitter say that they were just really excited to see Zendaya be, play a hot and sexy person yeah. because she's a hot and sexy person, and she usually she plays <laughs> really like completely emotionally harrowing roles. So it's mm. fun that she gets to mm. just have this. this Fun, grown-up, sexy role. Yeah, she's in June 2 as well, isn't she? Mm. Yeah. After being in all of 10 minutes of June 1. This is our time. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Timothy. 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 Also, right now, in cinemas, is about to be Wonka. Really Wonka. Oh, my God, I'm so excited for Wonka. Are you? I am. It's a musical. I know, but I think it's... I just love the original. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah. I love Timmy. So. Do you think it's going to be good? I do think it's going to be Paddington's good, good isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's going to be good in the, Padding- in the Paddington way. Mm. I think that's that's what it will be like. It will, it will just be joyful. Apparently, what did you say, Olive? Apparently it's weirdly erotic. Yeah, because there's <laughs> early reviews are in. It's got really good early reviews. But then someone on Twitter said like it was like weird, like, oh, it has like one of the most unintentionally erotic films <laughs> recently made. I hate that. Which I really <laughs> hate it so much. Oh. But maybe, it was, maybe they were joking. Hopefully. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully they were joking. Um, what about yeah. you? What, are you what am I looking for? for? I'm not really that excited about Wonka. I just feel like I don't really, Fair. I don't really want a, a Wonka origin story. I don't really care where he came from. He's just a guy who owns a chocolate factory. What more is there to say? I'm quite interested, you know. I'm not really interested in yeah. how he got into the chocolate industry. Oh, I don't care about that. I just want to see what they've, what they've done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not too bothered about that. Challenges, I'm, I'll watch. Poor things, I'll watch. Mm. I watched June part one, so I should probably watch June part yeah, two. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, oh, there's another Joker next year, isn't there? <laughs> That's going to be, be exhausting talking about discourse. I don't want to, I just don't want any part in it. Is that a musical too? Or have I made up that up? <laughs> it is a musical. I don't want any part in it. It's going to be good. Oh, the press tour is going to be good. The though. press tour, Lady Gaga, is going to be good. It's going to be insane. She's been very quiet of late, and we know why. She's been working she's out what, she's gonna, what her one line for the press yeah. tour is oh going to be. 89 people in a room. Yeah. <laughs> she's it, brainstorming it? as we speak. Yeah. 
Also, guys, I just realised we haven't talked about Jacob Elordi. Yeah, what do you want to say? Because TJ's not here and normally he does it. (laughs) Well, he's obviously, this has been his year. Like, if anything, I think he's been the breakthrough of 2023. I mean, he's amazing in Saltburn. I think that he really captures that kind of like. He's very good in it, isn't he? Yeah, that like posh boy kind of um, nonchalance. I think he really captures it. And I think he just does have that like old school heartthrob, obviously the looks, but the energy as well. And I don't think that's something that we've seen for a really long time. Like you've got Timmy, but he's kind of like that awkward, Mm. sickly looking kind of heartthrob. (laughs) And I say that with love, but we've not had someone like Jacob Elordi come along for a really long time, I don't think. And also in his interviews, I think he's really proven himself to be someone who's really likeable and really mm. funny um, and actually quite interesting. So yeah, I think it's it's been a good year for Jacob. I'm excited to see what what he does next. Mm. Yeah, TBH. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Priscilla. Yeah, I thought he was really good in Priscilla. And I think it's interesting that you say about like the heart swab mm. kind of allure because I think Sophia Coppola in an interview about it said that when she knew that he was going to be Elvis when they met and they were like in a cafe or they were somewhere that they met for to talk about yeah. it and it was like these girls that would like just like kind of like like just couldn't stop staring at him and were like gravitating to him and he was like that's probably what Elvis had oh, yeah. and mm. so that's when I knew that he had to be the yeah. person to play the part mm. he's um, good in Elvis I think so I think I liked his performance better he's than Austin but uh, yes you knew you weren't a big no Elvis I didn't like Elvis but mm. I like Priscilla mm. Mm. a lot more very good if you could give us uh, one thing that you want to leave behind in 2023, one cinema thing and one mm. thing you want to see more of in in 2024? This course. Leave behind. Mm. Let's leave behind. Yeah. This course. Yeah. What do I want more of? Jacob Elordi. <laughs> yeah. Jacob Elordi. <laughs> <laughs> what do I want more of? Colour. Like, saturated mm. colour. I think that sounds so wanky. Though. No, but well, you're bored of the grey. You I'm want something colourful. Yeah, like look at the Napoleon trailer. Just makes you wanna. Me and you in grey jumpers as well. Too, I know, and grey trousers. Yeah. God, I should practice what I colour. preach. More yeah. colour. More colour. Olive Pometti. I feel like I don't mind discourse, but I feel like I, I think what we should leave behind is like criticizing a film specifically because it doesn't necessarily align with your politics or your mm-hmm. views that is I think the thing yeah. like I, I think discourse is coming like fun but when it gets to that kind of bit then I'm I like I agree this is just silly and you're just mad because you don't agree with the points made what do I want more of dance numbers <laughs> Oliver <laughs> no You've been listening to The Face Podcast with me, Matthew Whitehouse. This week we we're talking about film, which wraps up our series for the year. Thank you to Spotify for having us. Thank you to Hunter Charlton for producing the show. Thank you to you for listening over the last 12 months. We look forward to seeing you in 2024.